Hello and welcome to the IDO podcast. My name is Dryden and I am your host. On today's episode, I was joined by Katie Ostring. Katie is a graduate student in Biblical Studies and Christian Thought at Trinity Western University. She is currently residing in California and she joined me virtually to talk about her international experience and how she got into Biblical Studies. So I hope you guys enjoy our conversation. Uh, please note that the IDO podcast is an independent production of the Trinity Western University Graduate Student Association, and the views expressed in this episode do not reflect the views of Trinity Western University or the Graduate Student Association. So how is the weather down there in California? Um, You know, it's pretty typical for California, except today is like 80 degrees and it's January. So I'm definitely looking forward to so, having some seasons. <laughs> I don't want to break this to you, but most of our listeners are going to be Canadian. And I don't think 80 degrees means means much to them. Oh, gosh. Yeah. What's, well, I don't know. <laughs> I don't it's, need, it's, it's I got to brush up on my Celsius, Celsius. I guess it's easier, but... When are you, uh, do, like, do you have any plans for moving up? I guess it's, I guess you're kind of just playing it by ear with COVID right now. Hey, just when you're yeah. going to move up here and stuff. The way I phrase it, I'm like, uh, borders permitting, you know, pandemic yeah. permitting. Um, <laughs> we're looking at like late July, early August. So that's kind of like my ideal. But. Cool. Well, you do have the unique opportunity right now of starting a graduate program at Trinity completely remote, which is not something that I think would have been an opportunity you know, before the pandemic. So yeah, it's true. It's been it's been kind of nice to experience uh, this part, this side of academia. Like I haven't, um, like you said, I haven't tried this before. So it's interesting. It's definitely different. (laughs) So how does uh, how does someone like you from California, end up enrolled at a graduate program at Trinity Western University? How does that happen? Yeah, so um, well, that's, it's interesting, because it's, this whole experience of um, applying and being accepted, it's been entirely a a leap of faith. And so I was familiar with Trinity um, because I have connections to Canada. And so about 10 years ago, I uh, was at a summer camp, Southern Alberta Bible camp in obviously Alberta. And um, some of the people I co-counseled with were students at Trinity. And so um, just through the course of this year and um, primarily like my prayer life. It's something that's come back to my mind and my heart. And um, I made the decision to apply. And I said, Lord, if uh, it's an open door, I'll walk through it and the door opened. So <laughs> right on. Yeah. So um, you are you are currently living in California. Correct. Mm-hmm. But how um, you do you have lived in Canada in the past? Am I correct? That's right. Yeah. So I um, lived in Lethbridge for about six years. And that's where my dad is from as well. So I mm. I have a lot of family in Canada. So are you are you a dual citizen? I'm triple, actually. Really? Yes. Oh, wow. That was way more exciting than I was hoping for. Yeah. <laughs> what is the third? So um, I'm also a Guatemalan citizen because I was born there um, while my parents were working as missionaries for the Assemblies of God. Okay. Okay. <laughs> this just keeps on. So you were born in Guatemala. Yeah. And then you moved to Canada from Guatemala or? Like, yeah. Pa- yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, so my fam, I was born in Guatemala, and then we moved to Canada when my dad took on a pastoral role um, at a church in Alberta. And then from Alberta, we moved to Southern California when I was um, 
when I was like 10 because uh, my dad got a job teaching at the university I ultimately ended up going to. Okay. So talk a little bit about growing up in Guatemala, like that, like growing up in Guatemala and Canada and California, that must've been, you know, like that's a pretty unique uh, multicultural experience. I know um, a couple months ago, one of our first guests on the podcast was uh, my classmate, Ben Birkenstock, who um, grew up, he was born in Germany and then lived in Canada and then China and then came back from China to go to university. So I thought that was going to be the most international student that we'd ever have on the podcast, but I think you may have just beat him a little bit. (laughs) I I was pretty young when those experiences unfolded, but yeah, it's, it's definitely true that seeing the world like that at a young age and then um, I, what I've noticed is that my siblings and I were both really, um, we adapt well, so we're very independent. And, um, I think it also influenced me in the sense that I have, like, I, I mean, it, it shaped me to pursue intercultural studies because I'm really interested in, um, how different people arrive at the conclusions they do based on the environment that they grew up in. Um, so growing up in Guatemala, well, like starting there, it was during, um, the civil war. So, it was definitely a different experience. It was the longest running civil war of Latin America from, I think it lasted like 1960 to 1996. And so my family was there on the tail end of that. Um, And then, I mean, just, but when you're on the mission field too, I think that's, that was a different way to grow up because it really did influence me in my spiritual walk so much. Um, inevitably. And my sister still lives in Guatemala um, and the civil war has since ended. So it's much safer than it was. Our, when we lived there, our house was broken into, I think, eight times. <laughs> yeah, it was a, a different experience, but you know, it's, it's such a beautiful country and like um, it's just the colors. I don't know. There's, it's, there's a vibrancy to it that um, I have a lot of love for Guatemala in my heart. So yeah. no, <laughs> yeah. for sure. So are those the only three countries that you've lived in or am I missing any? No, those are the only three I've lived in and I am a citizen of. Um, I've visited other ones, but yeah. <laughs> talk, talk about that a little bit. How What what other countries have you visited? Yeah, so um, I studied abroad in Costa Rica during college. And yeah, I, would think, I, I would think that counts as having lived in Costa Rica if you studied abroad <laughs> there. I think that would count. Oh, that's nice. Maybe, yeah, maybe I'll start saying that. I, I don't know. I don't feel like I, I can say that yet, but um, I... I did, I did have some experiences there. And then in high school, I studied abroad in the Netherlands as well. And so um, oh there's gosh. still plenty to see. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Oh, you're making me, you're making me feel incredibly sheltered right now, <laughs> but that's good. No. So then um, you mentioned uh, doing intercultural studies in your undergrad. So yeah. I'm, I'm assuming that that was um, at least partly influenced by your own experiences, having lived in, having such a vastly, you know, ha- such a vast array of cultures in your own upbringing? Yes, I definitely, you know, it's funny because I talk about when I, I was like 18 when I chose that major, right? And I, for a long time, I was like, why did I study intercultural studies? Because I didn't end up becoming a missionary. I'll refer to that as my character development degree. Because <laughs> it was, it was really foundational and developed me in a, me as a person. And another reason I chose to study that specifically is because my dad taught it and I went to a private school where it wasn't a conflict of interest to take his class. So I did. Um, But in hindsight, you know, I'm, I am so grateful for that degree itself, just because intercultural studies, what it does is it, it, it 
provided me the platform or like shaped me to always ask the question um, of what is being communicated. So you realize that everything you do communicates. There's not a day that goes by that I'm not thinking um, those sort of things like, okay, why did that person say that? What, what about their culture or their upbringing would lead them to that conclusion? And so in a way it makes you empathetic um, just because you think about that for yourself and you think about that for others. And another thing that intercultural studies really did was um, I think it started to show me the areas, especially of religion and spirituality, where um, the human condition is the same globally, universally. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what led me to philosophy and and wanting to study this specific degree, because it's like, I really, I want to wrestle with that a little more. There's some some major similarities that seem to be um, caveats of the of the human condition I'm interested in. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, I've said this on previous episodes, but you know, my background is in um, existentialism specifically. So whenever the term human condition comes up, my, you know, my eyes light up and I immediately have a million things to say. But no, um, I think that's really cool. And uh, definitely something that um, not a lot of students at Trinity would be able to relate to. I think just speaking for myself, um, that sort of that sort of actual lived intercultural experience. So you said that your dad is a professor. That's right. Yeah. So my dad so, teaches at Vanguard. Yeah. Okay. So was that kind of like, like, is that kind of like your own drive for like, like, I don't just want to, you know, I don't want to assume anything, but is that like kind of where your own drive for academia comes from? Do you think like, have you just kind of kind of grown up with that academic like mindset yeah. or? I guess you could think, uh, <laughs> I joke that like teaching or especially Vanguard University of Southern California, it's kind of like the family business. Like I have so mm. many relatives, um, and the thing, I had a real advantage of growing up. Both my parents are teachers. Like my mom teaches sixth grade. My dad's a professor. And so w- what they've instilled in me is to be a lifelong learner and um, to think critically. I think the purpose of university is to teach us to think critically. And I I had, um, I was luckily provided with two parents who were like, oh, no, push back. No, what do you think? Doubt, you know, if you have a doubt, investigate that and don't don't be afraid to speak your truth. And so um, I've, I think in that way, it's been really foundational and I'm grateful. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. okay. So we, I, we totally understand where then your interest in the intercultural studies would come from with your own lived experience. And, um, but you are currently in the biblical studies program at Trinity. Is that correct? Right. Yeah. So how did, how did that leap happen? I mean, and I'm not, I'm not judging because I've made some big leaps in my own academic life and, and lots of other people have as well, but ha- t- talk about that experience a little bit. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um, so the leap, I think this is such a specific program. Like really is like, if you think about all the areas of study I've could have gone into and my journey at arriving um, at this conclusion is, is, interesting. I think it started like I graduated, I had this intercultural studies background, lived and um, in the academic world. And then upon graduating, I was like, oh, man, if you're not going to be a missionary. It's really hard to make money <laughs> like, <laughs> with this degree. And so I pursued biology for a little while and the sciences. And then um, and then uh, later on, I, I pursued um, mostly psychology, because as I was just just in the course of going through my 20s, things in my personal life were coming up, which I wanted to know more about. And and the more I dug into psychology, which I love, like, and I, I read a lot of psychological literature, and I have a big heart for that. But 
I started realizing like this stuff is in the biblical canon. Like a lot of what modern research proclaims as we've discovered this. It's like, <laughs> well, um, actually that's in the book of Proverbs and it's been there for a couple thousand years, you know? So I, I think in that sense, I started to see these parallels that I'm like this book for being so ancient is so relative. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm relevant to the uh, modern human and, and in that way, psychology kind of led me back, which is interesting because um, I remember uh, when I graduated, just having a sense that God was, um, I was like, okay, I'm going to go like study biology now. And he's like, okay, that's cool. But um, don't forget, I'm going to bring you back around. Like this is going to come mm-hmm. back around. And so to be 29 now and look back and be like, wow, he wasn't kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> like it is, it's been a really cool experience. So. So um, with all that in mind, um, I think then uh, it's probably safe to say we can kind of jump the fence now and get into a little more of your own, like um, your own academic experiences and interests and, uh, you know, what you what you hope to pursue in, in the academic world. Um, so you've talked about having a wide array of interests, you know, from psychology to philosophy to biblical studies. So what, uh, c- coming into the biblical studies program at Trinity, just practically speaking, what, what is your field? Like, what's your area of expertise, do you think? Oh, gosh. And, and I, also, to... I do understand that you're just starting in the program, so you might not have fully gotten into your niche yet, and that's cool. But but where are you at right now? Yeah, th- this is such a process. And um, I I would say I'm, I'm still kind of feeling that out. There's a mm-hmm. lot. Um, I'm going through that with a fine-tooth comb in the sense that there I, I need to find a way to make this specific for myself. Um, but I'm, I'm in, like you said, I'm just starting. So I'm in the beginning of just kind of hearing what's out there and networking and, um, investigating what the potential is. There's a lot of potency there. So I'm okay. Let's see. I think here's what I understand about myself and what I am interested in gleaning from the program. Um, I know, I, I, I know from studying art history and from focusing on that, like I really am drawn to the idea of symbols I think it's so interesting um, to see how art um, can, it communicates major ideas through like sensuous experience. So you're seeing, you'll, you'll uh, like, you'll have something come to you and, and they're, they're major ideas. And the biblical text does that a lot too. I think philosophy really conceptualizes various ideas by getting to the heart of it through language. But a lot of times like religion also uses symbols or motifs or storytelling, like that whole, the whole idea of narrative. And that I think is so intrinsic to uh, the human psyche to like storytelling is how we've communicated for centuries, but it also has, I mean, I I took a class in college where I remember the professor, he would start every class by telling us a story. And you see all these like, you know, 18, 19, 20 year olds, and we're we're just gripped by this, oh, it's a story. And it's, (laughs) And it's something about that tells me um, that's a, another reason the Bible's been so effective is people love a story. So I would be interested in looking at the Bible um, as just like a literary piece, um, mm-hmm. historical. And, you know, even if it's a, like some portions of it are um, metaphor, I want to investigate that. Yeah. And then, yeah. So and then and the idea of like the motifs and the symbols 
And then um, coming back around to the like wisdom literature and the application in modern life. I think you're tapping into something huge there, that idea of, you know, the Bible's communication through symbols and archetypes. Um, I I know personally, I've been doing a lot of reading about the book of Revelation um, over the last year or so. And, uh, you know, that's all like the book Revelation is entirely symbolic, right? Like there's not a single line of the book Revelation that you don't basically need to understand like thousands of years of Jewish scripture and Jewish literature to not fully grasp that symbol that's being used, right? Right. Um, So I really resonate with what you're saying. And I think it's interesting that you, um, I think like you're acknowledging that there's a lot of authority even even behind a symbol or a metaphor or an archetype, even if it's not necessarily something that we interpret literally, that doesn't mean that it's not like authoritative, right? Am, am I reading you correctly there? Yes, absolutely. And it's interesting that like, I, I love how you said that um, revelation. Um, I mean, it's, it's only been recently that I've started even like playing with that myself. Like I'd always thought like, oh, this is something that's going to happen in the future. And mm. as of late, I've kind of been like, what if this is more of a process and we, mm. some of this has already been revealed and I definitely want to dive deeper into that. But that's like another reason I want to study biblical studies and Christian thought is because I, I see this come up so often in my everyday life. And like, for instance, I was walking with someone on the beach the other day and um, they had mentioned to me, um, they're like, come on, you can't really think all of humanity came from two people. Right. And my first thought was, well, why not? Like, we don't have evidence saying the contrary, but also, even if that is just a metaphor, are you going to throw out the baby with the bathwater? Are you really mm-hmm. going to, what if that's telling us something, even if it's just a story, like, what if there's mm-hmm. something to be discovered there? And so um, I think that's why I want to have this background so that when those conversations can come up, you can kind of break boundaries a little more and be like, but what if, you know? <laughs> mm. And um, yeah, so, and I, I think that's, that's a really interesting thing about revelation as well i have a lot to learn <laughs> yeah i um I, th- I think i i really appreciate what you said there about throwing out the baby with the bathwater. i remember um i had a professor in my undergrad who um he he said something that i kind of i mean i thought it was controversial at the time but now i now i realize he was bang on but um he said basically sometimes the fundamentalist christian commits the same violence against the Bible as like someone like Richard Dawkins, wherein like you read something like, uh, you know, the, the first few chapters of Genesis where there's a talking snake. Right. And, and someone like Richard Dawkins, someone, you know, an, an outspoken atheist will be like, okay, well, obviously snakes don't talk. So this is garbage. Right. And then, and, and sometimes what happens, I think, and I've been guilty of this in the past, cause I was raised in, I think a very kind of fundamentalist evangelical community, um, what happens, I think, is we try to defend the literalism, and in doing so, we almost commit the same violence against the Bible as as the atheist who says, like, well, obviously this isn't this isn't true, right? And so you forget about it. And then for us, sometimes we, like you said, throw the baby out with the bathwater, where we get so caught up in like, well, could there actually have been this flood that covered the entire world, or was was uh, Jonah actually in the belly of the whale for three days, right? Mm-hmm. And we get yeah. we get caught up in this literal, factual realm of things, and we lose, I think, the meaning a lot of times. Right. Yeah, that was beautifully put. I, oh, I well, couldn't agree you. more. Yeah. No. Very nice. <laughs> um, I couldn't agree more. And then that's that also like brings. So I'm I'm similar to you. We have very similar backgrounds. I I'm fifth generation Pentecostal. So, I mean, I. <laughs> 
Uh, the paradigm. I'm, I'm also here. fifth gen Pentecostal, so. Shout out. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So the the paradigm that was handed to me. I think the methodology was very specific and that was helpful from childhood on to you kind of, okay, why do we do this? It's important to have a concept of benevolent hierarchy. Why? And so, but it's only been as I've gotten older that I've kind of broken those boundaries myself. So like, and, and it's something that's really interesting is I like, um, when I was in Guatemala, I remember we were in Tikal. So we're in the, the heart of the jungle and we're at the Mayan ruins and I was looking at Estelle and it, and the, the, the guide was explaining to us, oh, this is um, a flood account. So it's basically mm-hmm. the Mayan Indians had, or uh, they had in their, um, in their mythology, like the story where at one point the world was covered with a great body of water and a man survived. And it's like, doesn't that sound like someone? <laughs> and then, I mean, I was it just in, that's kind of took me to mythology too, like looking at other there's a story in um, Greek mythology that it's the story concludes where one of the goddesses is bitten on the heel by a snake. It's like, wow, that sounds like a biblical symbol if I ever mm-hmm. heard one. And so what is that? Like, I don't, you know, and, and I think the, and, and the, even the Egyptian creation story sounds very similar to Christianity. So it's like the more we can as Christians, the more we can investigate and, and interpret that or have an explanation of it, that's going to help as an apologetic work like that will really aid the world because the world's thinking that too they're like wow that seems i think c.s lewis before he converted to christianity he had studied medieval and renaissance uh literature i mean that's he was a professor of that and that was one of his main reasons for being an atheist from what i understand is that he was like all of these look very similar it's just mythology And then there was a point where he realized there is something different about christianity and i love this story where um He's uh, he's at, I think it's Oxford and all the professors are, you know, having a discussion about what what makes each religion different. And they're like, well, what's what are the similarities and in, in, uh, between Christianity and other and what makes Christianity different than other religions? And he goes, oh, that's easy. It's grace. You know, and I, mm. I love that story because it's like, really, you look at any other religion and you don't see this concept of yeah. grace or relationship. And mm-hmm. I'm like that's something to pursue. That's really interesting. Or really just the whole redemption narrative. Right. Um, I mean, I don't, I, I, I guess I can't rule out the Abrahamic, the other Abrahamic face, but no, when you compare, when you compare the, the um, like, even going back to the ancient Jewish texts, you know, going back to like the earliest, uh, you know, the earliest ancient Jewish thought, there is still this sense that like, Oh, but, but God is going to redeem this world. He is going to renew this earth. Like he's going to set things right eventually. Right. Yeah. And, and I think the that's the thing, that. that's the thing that's missing from um, other, other mythologies and other religions of the day is that sense of like, that, that sense of like, but it's going to be fixed. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's very true. And I think also in understanding that those things, that's like a good bridge of communication in, in mission work. And so this is my intercultural study background coming where I believe you can be a tent maker. Like I don't need to be on the mission field mm-hmm. to um, be demonstrating my faith in a way that's a, that helps other people is because I, I think a lot of times we get caught up in the things in our mind. So if you can demonstrate that, like I think about um, in Acts, it was it Acts 17 when Paul is walking in Athens and he, he sees all their statues. He's really disheart- disheartened at all the idols, but then he sees the statue for the unknown God. And so he uses that as a platform to communicate to the people in terms that they understand about, Oh, I know who your unknown God is. You forgot, mm. his, you know, and then yeah. like, what a brilliant <laughs> way to yeah. go about doing that. So why don't we do that today? by looking at what other people are 
seeing and mm -hmm. using that or having an explanation for that. And I, I think that's what um, university is equipping me for or us for. So, yeah. Um, and you, you had mentioned archetypes too. I think that's something I want to touch on. Cause like in my pursuit of psychology, I, I read a lot of Carl Jung and, and um, he's very, I'm mean, very mystical, but um, there's a lot of interesting concepts there. Um, something that I've always thought was, really interesting was that he there seems to be this sense like and you'll see it in like blockbuster Hollywood movies like all these like superhero movies like people really gravitate and will spend a lot of money to go watch a story about a hero mm -hmm. uh, somebody who sacrifices themselves for the greater good like mm. and then I don't think that's anything new I know in psychology like uh, Piaget I think it was um he created and his cog cognitive developmental psychology spectrum there's like a in late adolescence there's like a phase you go through the messianic phase you mm. and i remember doing this like i'm gonna save the world i will be the one yeah. <laughs> like and then you mature out of that because you realize that's a lot <laughs> um but yeah i think it goes to show that there's something innate in the human being we crave a messiah we crave a messiah why is that there and again is that just like another is that a fingerprint of god like there's a reason that there's got to yeah. be a reason we all want this <laughs> and it i i think again that's one of those things that can go either way you know like you can you can look at the story of jesus and you can say like oh well mankind has always wanted there to be a messiah so obviously this is just wishful thinking right like obviously this is just wish fulfillment or you can read the story of jesus and say like well, humanity has always wanted there to be a Messiah. So maybe there is a reason for that, right? Maybe there, yeah. may, maybe there is something there. Maybe there is a reason why we've always wanted there to be a Messiah, right? Maybe. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that's there for a reason. Maybe that's not just, you know, the process of material functions in the brain. Yes. Yeah, I agree. I think, I think those things are worth pursuing. I think so often just in conversation with people, um, because I, I mean, I, I haven't been in school for five years. I've been, um, just working. And in, in that time, it's been really valuable just kind of tinkering with thoughts and self-exploration and what's out there and what other people think. And so often I'll hear others so quickly write off the biblical narrative because it's like, that's it. I had a friend say this to me recently, like, Katie, those are just stories. And I was <laughs> like, okay, hypothetically, <laughs> let's say they are just stories. Are you saying there's nothing relative, like relevant there? Because mm -hmm. I think it's really arrogant to throw out thousands of years of human history as if we as the modern person have arrived on this planet with an understanding of how everything works like i just mm -hmm. i think that's we have to look to the traditional um what's been left by by the people who came before us by our ancestors because there's there's something there that will mm -hmm. tell us about ourselves it is uh, yeah i i've heard that a lot too oh it's just a story and i think like what a sad way to live if you <laughs> you know, not, not just, not just discrediting the Bible. I mean, I, I get people discredit the Bible and I don't expect everyone to feel about it the same way that I do, but just discrediting stories in general. Yeah. Right. Like, you know, I remember when I, like when I was a kid, um, like the amount of joy that I got out of, you know, the Chronicles of Narnia or the Lord of the Rings or like even Star Wars. I mean, Narnia and the Lord of the Rings are, are easy for Christian kids because there's so many, you know, common threads there, but yeah. um, no, like, or even something like Star Wars, right? Which like, if someone would have said to me, oh, well, it's just a story. Well, yeah, it is just a story. Like, does that mean it's not cool? Like, does that mean I can't enjoy it? Right? Yeah. Um, so no, that is, yeah, I, I do think that's always really interesting when people say, 
oh, it's just a story. And I see that come up to, um, again, it's a double-edged sword because I think, um, you know, there are Christians out there who, you know, if the creation narrative in Genesis is not 100% factually true, that's detrimental to their faith, right? Right, yeah. And when I hear that, I think, do you have such a little regard for stories? Like, do you have such a little regard for poetry and fiction that, like, if if that is what this is, if this is metaphor, like, do you really think that then it conveys no truth? Do you think it has no authority? Just like, and to me, that's a very, to me, that's a very post-enlightenment mindset, right? Mm -hmm. Where it's like, well, it has to be factually true. It has to be a factual, scientific, material narrative of how the universe created, or else it's detrimental to my faith. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's like a C.S. Lewis quote. He says that too, where it's like, one day you'll be old enough to read fairy tales again. Yeah, exactly. It's like, you have to mature into that in a weird backwards way. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But no, it it is a very, it is a very post enlightenment mindset, I think. And I don't think it's true to like, I don't think that's at all true to the intent behind the biblical texts. I don't think, I don't think the biblical authors were thinking in our post enlightenment um, categories. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know if you're familiar with, um, I'm going to forget his name now, John Walton. Um, he wrote The Lost World of Genesis 1. No. Um, I, it's a book I recently read for a paper I was writing. And uh, he writes about that, about how the the ancient, um, uh, he's he's a scholar of ancient literature. And so, you know, he studies, he's studied creation myths from, you know, several surrounding cultures around Israel. And then yeah. kind of compares and contrasts how did Israel's narratives, how were they similar to other cultures and how were they different? And um, he talks a lot about that, about how, you know, we can't expect that the ancient Israelites were thinking in the same materialist categories that have been handed down to us. Right. Mm-hmm. And we can't, we can't expect that they were writing, um, that they were writing with this to, to satisfy our needs, right. To satisfy our kind of like, right. you know, materialist, um, scientific logical categories um, and I th- but I think also yeah that, that's so interesting too because it is you really do see over time that it is the living breathing word like I think um, in the sense that it, it and this is why I'm interested in the uh, biblical studies and Christian thought specifically is because I want to study Christianity at different points of history mm-hmm. um, because it's still it's so relevant for mm-hmm. the people of that day and age and I believe if, if, it, if it's true like that that's something like, and I, I believe it's true. Like I do believe in it's in the inspired word of God. And so, um, which is another reason to pursue it. It's like, Oh, God wrote us a love letter. Yeah. Why wouldn't I investigate that? That sounds yeah. real interesting. <laughs> like, so I want to, yeah. Um, I think it is really interesting to think about how it, the Bible, it, I wouldn't, I don't want to say it changes, but it, it applies to people in the way that they need based on the time that they're living in. And Mm -hmm. that is remarkable because how do you do that? (laughs) Like any, Mm -hmm. no other book does that. I Mm -hmm. mean, we can enjoy different books, but this something about this one really speaks to us for where we are right now. Mm -hmm. I, and no, I, I agree wholeheartedly. And I also think it becomes really interesting when you start to realize how, um, how the Bible is interpreted with different, um, like like with the current whatever the current dominant school of thought is at that specific point in time right how even doctrines that have been handed down to us today mm-hmm. um are are the results are very much so the results of the period of time in which 
people were dealing with the biblical text and developing this doctrine, not so much a result of the Bible itself. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Um, I, I know I, I, I'm talking too much, but I wrote a paper recently yeah. on um, the image of God, what it means to be made in the image of God. And Imago Dei. Imago Dei, exactly. But, <laughs> you know, I, I talked about this in my paper, how the, the concept of Imago Dei that has really is largely a result of ancient Greek and Roman thought categories. It's mm-hmm. not really the result of ancient Israelite thought categories, right? You know, in right. Um, the way that the way that it has been interpreted, I think it was, uh, I think it was Karl Barth who said, um, who said, you know, the doctrine of Imago Dei um, has been interpreted with whatever the contemporary anthropology of the day was, like, however people have currently been thinking about human beings and what it means to be human. Mm-hmm. That's how they understand the image of God. It's not, it's very rarely been traced back to, okay, but what were the ancient Israelites thinking when they said that, right? What were they? Yeah. Um, and no, I think, and I mean, it's a double-edged sword too, because on one hand, I think what you're saying is very true, that it is a book that speaks to us where we're at, no matter what the dominant schools of thought are. Mm-hmm. But then it's also a book that, you know, if we're not careful, it very quickly becomes, it's almost like a Rorschach test, right? It becomes, mm-hmm. we, we see it based on where we're at in life, not based on what the biblical authors have to say, right? Yeah, and I think that's that's kind of the beauty of being a believer is that you know at the end of the day it's not entirely up to you and yeah. i mean ecclesiastes speaks, the book of ecclesiastes speaks, speaks to this where it says like it's kind of futile you'll never arrive at these answers like <laughs> <laughs> so what's the what's the point and and there's but then in proverbs you see like and this is all wisdom literature but you also see in proverbs when when it, you see um what is it god like hides things and it's to the delight of kings to discover them or whatnot and mm. i kind of think that's what these academic pursuits are it's like when we're able to unearth like a new way of thinking of something or conceptualizing something like it is it's a delightful feeling you're like wow that's really mind-blowing and um I think again, but that, that, that's what I mean. It's like, it's nice that I, in walking with Jesus, um, I can trust that the spirit is guiding me into um, non-heretical <laughs> ways of <laughs> conceptualizing it because I think that that ultimate standard is important. Like you don't want to deviate from um, what it's intended to do and, and mm-hmm. what, because that once you start, I mean, you can easily, I look at history and the dangers of, the dark sides of religion when people develop cults and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And um, that's all based on like similar principles where people want to feel like they belong to something and something mm-hmm. that's deep in the human psychology is, is provoking these. And so the more educated we can be and the more the loose, I think it's important to hold these things loosely in your hand, knowing that you are immortal and you may not fully understand, but it's okay because you have a relationship with a great God who does understand. And mm. that's where I feel some, um, okay. Solstice, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, um, that's a very, I think for me, at least that's a very difficult place for us, p- people who are academically minded like us to get to. It's a very mm-hmm. difficult place to get to where we realize, you know what, it's okay not to know the answers. Right? Yes. Um, yeah. <laughs> even as I'm saying that I'm like clenching my teeth as I say that, cause You're I, like, I, I want to know. I really, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, what 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 have I been doing with the last you know seven years of my life that I've spent in university? If the if the yeah. answers are ultimately unavailable, well, this is supposed to you know I think the way I view it is like this is equipping us for the life we're living. So mm-hmm. um, I'm it's interesting. I've always been so so studious and so fixated on grades and and how this makes me look and the prestige that comes with a degree. But I'm I, I in having arrived at 
this degree through my prayer life, what I've ultimately landed on is I'm going here to gather more tools by which to carry me through the rest of my life. So I can Mm. influence this world in a way that is honoring to God and is kingdom oriented, because that's what, that's what I've dedicated my life to. I gave my heart to the Lord and that's when I was seven. And since then it's been just unearthing. What does that mean? (laughs) How does that look for me? I'm waiting for God to give me my life because he knows how he designed me. And so, um, I don't know, it's a great adventure. It's really yeah. just really cool <laughs> that we get to partner with him in this. And I, th- I think, I mean, you're speaking to my heart right now because you're speaking very Kierkegaardian themes of, you know. Oh, yes. <laughs> we're never, we're never going to get there, right? It's not, yeah. it's not, you know, the whole, the whole point of faith isn't that it's a state of being. The f- faith is a process, right? Yeah. It's a process have that, that. That one quote, it, um, it's not a, it's not a problem to solve it's a reality to experience something along something like that. That sounds familiar. (laughs) Well, Katie, I think that's probably a good place to uh, wrap up our conversation. We're just about at our time limit here. Um, Wanted to say thank you on behalf of the Trinity Western student body for, uh, for doing this, for taking time to record this with me. And um, unfortunately um, I'll, I'll speak for you here a little bit, but unfortunately Katie is not, yet uh with us in the langley area so if you want to meet her in person and have these conversations with her in person you will just have to be patient and wait until (laughs) wait until the end of this pandemic for her to get up here but um (laughs) are there any final any final thoughts you'd like to add or wishes you'd like to give to the student body before we sign off katie um well thank you dryden for having me and um i really look forward to meeting you and to learning what i can and i hope that while i'm there people um, stretch, you know, stretch me with their concepts too. I really am coming to, to, I'm coming in as a learner. So I, I want to, um, so we should just argue with you when you get up here, we should all just approach <laughs> you with, with a no. list of very difficult questions for you to answer. <laughs> no, I, I mean, you can, I yeah. don't, I might get tired, but, uh, <laughs> no, if, if you definitely, I'm, I'm, I'm so open to, to seeing what else is out there and to, um, growing and so yeah Yeah. i'm very much looking forward to thank you well we're looking forward to having you katie so uh, on behalf of the ido podcast uh thank you for joining us today and we will talk to you later all right bye thank you